Hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Hey, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, my name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. So if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so uh, if you forgot your Bible, we, we got you covered. You can borrow one of ours and just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get one to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, uh, that's our gift to you. We pray that you read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John. We've been in this series uh, for many, many weeks. Someone told me I think we're coming up on a, a year almost in the Gospel of John. And uh, I, I think uh, uh, we may finish by the year 2035. Uh, <laughs> And uh, so, hey, turn to John chapter 13. If you're new to the Bible, you can start in the right and turn left, and you'll find John 13 much faster. Or you can go two-thirds of the way through. You'll find some guys' names, Matt, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to be in John 13, starting in verse 17. You can say amen when you're there. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one who... uh, the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who I who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are doing What you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. So some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Look at verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. Notice that after that scene, he says, Now, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. 
If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I had said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, you have love one for another. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I thank you that you inspired John and his memory to write these words, this story, that would go viral for thousands of years. And at some point, someone's heard this story of how a close friend of yours betrayed you. And yet, you leave for us an ethic. You leave for us a standard of what love truly is. We ask today that we would think about this story and we would ultimately see you more clearly for your glory and the good of this valley. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. You've probably heard this story or you know the concept of this story, whether you have been raised in church or not. Uh, the, the title of a betrayer, uh, someone who's betrayed, you, you think of Judas very quickly. You don't, you don't want to be the character that gets thrown around. You don't want to become a Judas Iscariot or, or someone to call you that because some at some point in your life culturally we have this story uh, kind of fixated in our minds it, it categorizes for us human relationships that we have and, and and yet what we see in the text maybe can ring home for many of us maybe we read the text and we quickly think about someone who's betrayed us or or someone who's who's went against us someone very close to us who's hurt us and and when you read a text like this it can bring up so many emotions and and what can happen is we can begin to uh, to categorize or begin to look at others in these types of categories right uh, we, we, we can kind of place them in different roles if you will and so what I want to want us to do for a few moments is look at what happened in the text and maybe examine some of the things that happened in the text and then maybe look at it from a different perspective or with fresh eyes, if you will. And so for maybe you've not uh, been here for the series in John. The first part of John begins to show us a lot of the big picture of Jesus's life. It goes from miracle and it's centered around uh, different uh, miracles and sayings 
things that John remembers. There's seven, if you will, maybe eight, if you count Jesus simply saying, I am. There are seven I am statements, like I am the bread of life, and, and uh, I am uh, this, and I am that. I am the light of the world. Seven different statements kind of categorize the stories that we hear in the Gospel of John. It's much different than Luke, who is a, was a physician, and if you know any physicians, uh, can, can be very detail-oriented. And so there's details in Luke that the other ones don't. See, John was a young man when he experienced this, and so he kind of reads in the highlights and kind of gives us the highlights the big picture and moves us along different miracles like the the wedding at Cana where he turns water into wine the raising of Lazarus these different miracles all set what John is showing us about the person of Jesus and what we have to remember that John is writing with intent and that's why we play the sermon bumper every week because it actually reads the thesis of John John 20 which says I have written these things and I could have written many more uh, one passage will say that that all of the books in the world could not contain all that Jesus did and yet I have written these things that you may believe Jesus is the Christ not his last name Okay, uh, you're welcome. Uh, means m Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah, or the one that the Jews have been looking for for centuries. These prophecies fulfilled. And so oftentimes John will write these things and he'll say, and it fulfilled. One thing we read here, it, so that it would fulfill Psalms 41 9, which says, The one who's taken his bread, has eaten my bread, has lifted his heel against me, fulfilling this prophecy of hundreds of years uh, preceding the time of Jesus. And so John writes these things in there that you may believe Jesus is the Christ. He checks all the boxes of the prophecies looking for the Messiah, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing this, you may have life in his name. So the intention of the book is that you may see who Jesus is, you may see him clearly and distinctly that he has a purpose and he has a place and position in history and he fulfills this moment and that by believing in him you may have life in his name. The first part of the book is giving you this grand picture. Where we are now is the last week of Jesus's life. It goes from the macro to the micro. It zooms close in and we begin to trace from the triumphal entry when Jesus comes riding in on a colt and he uh, comes into Jerusalem. We begin to zoom in on the last week of Jesus's life. Then it moves from the last week of Jesus's life to the last hours of Jesus's life. It goes on the night he's betrayed. It moves uh, to his arrest in the night, to his trial that starts in the middle of the night, to the next day in front of Pontius Pilate, ultimately to his crucifixion, then ultimately to his resurrection that would change all of human history. And it's like the adrenaline is pumping, and when the adrenaline is pumping, the details become more vivid. And so he wants to take you through this story but zoom in on what is 
actually happening in the story. So where we find ourselves is this meal has been prepared on Thursday night. They're getting ready for the Passover meal. They're getting ready for the feast. That's why they're all there. But it's Thursday night and someone's prepared a room for them, ultimately to have a banquet, to have a dinner. And when they come in, what uh, Mike talked about last week was this famous kind of scene of Jesus washing the disciples' feet when they enter into this banquet room to get ready for the meal. Now, the reason why that's important is in this particular culture, they would have been kind of lounging or laying down at a low table. And so they were, it would not have been uh, like the great last supper picture. It would have not been a medieval setting. Uh, they would all have been laying down in this Middle Eastern country and they would have been reclining and they would have had one arm for their food resting on another. And so when you hear John even say the one who is reclining uh, at Jesus's side, it's not that he was literally laying on Jesus's side. To, uh, uh, to dispute Tom Hanks and the Da Vinci Code, but uh, any, anyways, uh, uh, and, and they all got that joke. What's wrong with you people? Anyways, uh, uh, and. And so it's a, it's a different setting. And so ultimately what we see is the positioning of the disciples uh, here tell us that Peter somehow may be on the other side of John. Judas Iscariot may be on the opposite side of Jesus. And John is laying, literally reclined right next to Jesus. And so if you can imagine looking back, sometimes there's conversations that go on, insider conversations that go around the Thanksgiving table. You'll be watching for those this week, right? And you're like, wait, what was that? And then sometimes there'll be things that are said. And until you leave the dinner table and someone fills you in on the story, like, oh, that's what they meant. Because if you've ever watched a scene of a movie with Jesus, this last supper, it's as if Jesus announces and everyone points to Judas. And it's as if everyone knows what Judas is doing. And Jesus says, the one whom I give this morsel of bread, and he hands it to him. The whole room goes, we did not know, right? And now we all know, go do it quick. But it's, it's so subtle that the people in the room that are so close, they're having a meal, they're, they're having a banquet, they're having a party, if you will. And no one really uh, is privy to this, so much so that Jesus is, is beginning to become frustrated. Uh, you ever been frustrated? Yeah, you and Jesus, a lot alike, right? Uh, you're welcome, right? And we're going to talk about what we do with that frustration so we continue to look like Jesus. Mm, that was good. Uh, uh, that's good preaching, Pastor Sam. Thank you very much. Uh, somebody say amen to that. Uh, you and Jesus uh, look alike when you're frustrated, but what you do with that frustration oftentimes does not look like Jesus. That was free. You're welcome. And Jesus has washed the disciples' feet, washed uh, Judas's feet, and we're going to talk about the dynamics and the scene. So what you have to hear is the words of Jesus when he says this commandment, when he talks about the things that are happening is in the context of this meal on this night in this scene continues. They've washed the feet, they've sat down for dinner, and then Jesus becomes troubled in his spirit and he begins to tell them, one of you will betray me. 
And it's as if some of them are like, yeah, you're saying stuff all the time and it's one, in, one ear out the other over my head. We didn't really know what he was talking about. Uh, have you ever read the Bible and didn't know what it was talking about? You're well, you and the disciples, you're a lot alike. And, and, and so uh, there are some things that they don't get until after the fact. The dinner's over, someone unlocked. Oh, that's what they were talking about. And so uh, Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Everyone's looking at each other like, ah, I don't think we should really talk about this because you don't really talk about religion and politics at the table. And, uh, and, and so uh, anyways, uh, and, and, uh, keep that in mind for Thursday. Okay, friends. Uh, <laughs> and, and yet, Peter is on the other side of John. He's not close enough to make it subtle. And yet, here's what's interesting is all of them are potentially considering that it could be them. All of them are considering, hey, I know what I want to do, but I also know what I'm capable of. I, I, I know what's, what, what, what I want to do, but when things hit the fan, man, I, I don't know how I'll respond or react. And they're already beginning to examine themselves, which is always a good thing to be humble enough to examine your own self. Someone say amen to that. Look into the mirror and consider what God is showing you. Yeah, they all ponder and John uh, 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 Simon Peter then says to John ask Jesus because he's closer and he goes ask him who it is and so then John refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved and I don't know how to uh, interpret that at all uh, and a sense of uh, he is very confident that Jesus loved him. And I, and I would say if he's able to say that, then you and I can say that we are the ones that Jesus loved. Amen? And so he's convinced of, of this, but he's, he sees Jesus as a young man. He sees Jesus as his uh, big brother almost. And, and he, he, he leans next to him. He says, all right, Jesus, give me, give me a hint. Who, who is the one who's going to betray him? And unlike the movies, it's more of a subtle thing where he, he almost whispers to John, the one that I dip and then hand this morsel of bread to. It's not announced at the table because they didn't know. And yet John is in on this. John is the author of this. This is how we have this information. It's that it is literally said to the one who would write and tell this story. Jesus then dips the morsel of bread and then he hands it to Judas. Now in this culture, this type of behavior would only be reserved for someone that you consider your close friend. I mean, could you imagine going out to the Mexican restaurant with me and I dip a chip and hand it to you, right? <laughs> That's the only con. You'd be like, man, I, I, I don't think we're that close, you know? <laughs> right? Uh, and yet, uh, th this is true now and it's true then. You know, that might happen with my wife. Hey, you, you, you got to try this bite of, you know, get all the stuff. On. You know you've done that. Don't judge me. Some of you are like, what do you mean? You sh yeah, we're married. We share a fork sometimes, friend. Okay. Uh, got four kids. You figure that out. All right. And, uh, and so uh, this idea of sharing this, he literally is saying that this is my friend. 
in the middle of the room, he doesn't do this for others. He literally is going to call as a symbol Judas, his friend, although he knows that he is going to betray him. He hands him the morsel. Judas eats the bread. And the Bible says that Satan then entered into him. Jesus looks at him and says, what you're going to do, do it quickly. And immediately, Jesus still in control of the situation. Judas actually listens to Jesus and does exactly what Jesus tells him to do. He gets up from the table and he leaves. And he literally goes and does what he had set out to do. Then, in that context, when he leaves, Jesus then says, Now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified, and the Father will be glorified. And he, he begins to, and theologians argue about this, this kind of statement that Jesus makes. It, it, it's confusing because it has present and future tenses to it. And if you think about the whole of Scripture, the idea that God is glorified now and will be and to come, and yet we see John will write the book of Revelation and he'll describe the one who is and is to come. He begins to see Jesus' glorification in the sense of time and outside of time, as if it's here and not yet. He begins to say as soon as he leaves, he says, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. He begins to even more tie the glory of the Father, the glory of the Son, and somehow these are one in the same. To glorify Jesus is to glorify the Father. To glorify the Father is to glorify the Son. And then he goes on and says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I've said to the Jews, Jews, he means the religious people that he's been debating. For this. He, he is not talking of a particular ethnicity. He is, when this translation that he is talking about, he is talking the Jews, the ones who are in charge, the ones who are in power, the ones who are plotting to kill him. He says, these religious leaders, I said it to them. They didn't understand where I'm going. You cannot follow. And if you remember what the religious leaders responded, they, they said, you think there's a place that you can go that we can't track you down? Now think of the contrast and the irony of telling God in the flesh, all knowing, all powerful, there's no place you can go that we won't find you. Saying that to God who knows all and there is no place that you can go that he will not find you. Amen? And yet he says, where I'm going you cannot come. This is what I said to them. Where I'm going you cannot come. A new commandment, a new commandment I give to you. Look at somebody and say, this is new. All oh, three of you did that. Uh, Jesus can get Judas to do what he says, but I can't get you to say that. Anyways, uh, look at somebody and say, this is new. I manipulated you into that one. And this is a new commandment I give you, that you are to love one another. Don't stop there. 
You are to love one another, and then he gives the standard. He says, you are to love one another as I have loved you. You are also to love one another, and this will be put on display for the world to see. Now, he's specifically talking to his disciples, and he's specifically talking to their local community. He is saying to them, you are to love one another as I have loved you. Love, and there is a standard. This is a ganipganop. What? What? Uh, this is a ganip ganop. Do you know what a ganip ganop is? Uh, my uh, my science teacher freshman year told me that this was a ganip ganop, and I've just uh, never questioned it. So uh, uh, freshman year in accelerated ICP introduction to chemistry and physics, my teacher came in the room and he said, "This is a ganip ganop," and we looked as puzzled as you all looked. We did not laugh. We thought we have missed something terribly. And we have signed up for the wrong class. And he said, this is a ganip ganop. And then he did that. And he said, this is no longer a ganip ganop. And we thought, what are you talking about? See, at once, it was a standard of measurement when it was new, Right? And it is meant to show us what a, a foot is, 12 inches. But let's be honest, over time, this is probably no longer. I think this is uh, Janice's from 1984. Um, and uh, uh, and uh, uh, since at 1984, when this was uh, Janice's standard of measurement, uh, it, it was probably 12 inches. But over time, uh, this is probably worn down and the end of the ruler. And if I was to think about your ruler versus my ruler, and if you were to see what my kids' rulers are, are like, uh, it probably no longer gives me 12 inches. But it's a standard in this idea, and we all agree to this particular standard. Uh, but uh, it could be, and his point was, is that actually it's not exactly it's close to, but there could have been a fraction of a millimeter to change. And when it changes, it's no longer what we consider a ruler or 12 inches. It's something different entirely. In other words, he renamed this no longer as a ruler and a standard of measurement, but he named it as a ganip ganap. And then after he slammed it down and changed again, what the length of this measurement was, it no longer could be called a ganipganop. It now had to be called something else entirely. See, we all agree to certain standards, and we think about them in our lives, and we have standards of measurement. We have standards of times. We on the West Coast, we agree to Pacific Standard Time, and then there's people down south of us who are just like, we're not doing any of that, right? Uh, we agree to time change. We agree to daylight savings time, and we all say this is the standard by which we are going to interact with each other based on measurements, because this would be absolutely uh, imperative to how I buy materials 
wheels, uh, whether it's a, uh, what they call it, a yard foot and foot and yard. And I don't know any of how you buy that stuff. And it doesn't make sense at all to me. And, uh, but, but it matters. It matters the standard of it. And then I, I, I hear guys when, uh, they'll go, uh, when they're building things around here, uh, they'll say, well, they, they don't, they're not always quite eight feet or they, they don't always, it could be this. And anyone who's in construction knows that you hope that the standard is the same, but one, one lumber yard standard can be completely different than another guy's. And it could be the, 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 the width of the blade and how they cut it or, or just some rookie in there uh, just going to town and he misses it. But the standard by which we interact with one another, we agree to those standards and we do it with materials, we do it with time, we do it with so many different things. And then we get to this passage where Jesus says, you are to love one another And then he gives a standard of how to see what love actually is. Are are you with me? And yet, let's be honest, like the Ganipganop, that standard continually changes. Oh, that's good. Someone say amen to that. What was once defined as loving what once we would think, now all over the place, what does it mean to love? I mean, the concept of loving your neighbor has been thrown out this entire uh, period of time that we've called the pandemic. And none of us can agree on what this standard of measurement is. Now you're with me. Someone say, oh, no. And yet it continually changed. What something happens, culture, sediment, different we've decided that over the years that what what the scriptures meant at one period of time now doesn't mean that anymore. We we decide what's some things in here we want and other things we don't. And yet everyone tries to act with some standard, but if I act and I give someone a false standard. If I'm actually putting forth the standard for them, man, now now I'm moving into an area where I am circumventing the standard that is from above. Because ultimately, that's what we want. We, We want some outside regulation to decide. We don't want any, when we buy materials, when we want, the, the, we, we want something outside to decide the value or the standard of measurement. We don't want anyone, if you go to a store, you don't want anyone to just begin making up the standard. And each store has its own standard of what they call a yard foot or what they call a, a, a this or, or a, a length. Of, uh, of measurement. We don't want them making that up. And yet we have a culture that is constantly moving what they decide is the standard of right and wrong, righteousness, in, in, morality and immorality. It's constantly moving and changing. Let me give you an example. I, and uh, I was uh, sent an article uh, a, um, a while back uh, my wife sent it because it was about a, a town in eastern Kentucky called Hazard, Kentucky. And I grew up 
right outside of Hazard, Kentucky. And, and I, I was wondering why I was getting an article that said USA Today uh, and then Hazard, Kentucky. Ha- Hazard has probably a population of 5,000 people. It's a small coal mining community. And now they're making national news. And, and the headline uh, said this, that, that uh, teenagers uh, were dancing uh, inappropriately with uh, school administrations. Uh, and then you go on to read the article. How many of you are privy to this story? How many of you saw this story go viral? Uh, so, so, so I began to read the story, and this, this is what was interesting. At first glance, the headline makes you think the worst. And, and they begin to talk about uh, 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 dancing, exotic dancing inside with teachers. And you, you start going, what is happening? And then you begin to read the article and you realize this was at a school assembly, homecoming week, and uh, high school football players, they dressed in drag and they began to dance in front of, and I began to read that and I went, yeah, I've seen that every single year, Right. <laughs> What do you mean? And then I came to work and I was like, hey, do you guys, and it shocked my memory. It was like, I've seen this in, when I was in high school, that happened, uh, you know, four score and seven years ago. And, uh, and then everyone in the room went, oh yeah, like homecoming week, all the guys would dress like cheerleaders. And then, and, and then it could get a little out of hand from time to time. And then for, for shock jock purposes, usually there's a high school football coach standing over on the wall laughing at his boys. And at some point, one of those boys are going to go over and dance near coach. And, uh, and, and, and so whether or not you think that's appropriate or not, I'm going to say that, uh, that that's not appropriate. And that's not what I want to see my children doing. Uh, However, it was in a public high school, something that I've seen for years and years and years, but now there's video of it. And here's, here's the problem that I had. In this article from USA Today, they did an interview with the governor of Kentucky. And the governor of Kentucky began to pontificate on why this was inappropriate and wrong. And he began to say that we need to begin to teach our children right from wrong, especially what's appropriate and inappropriate, especially in the time we are living today. Now, you may agree with that, but the question is, Governor, what standard of right and wrong do you want to hand to our students about how they should be raised? This is coming from a governor that during the pandemic closed down churches, had one of the hardest restrictions on churches than any other state. They were fining people who were coming to the churches. During the entire pandemic, abortion clinics were open and churches were closed. And so friends, it doesn't matter what you think is right or what the standard is. The problem is, is that we have to decide Will we follow God's standard or will we make up ganip ganops for every single issue, for every single topic, for every single conversation, morality issue? Will we begin to appeal to the standard of God or will we make up our own? 
What was troublesome is I didn't think those boys were right at all. Uh, But I know that all they were doing is mimicking the culture by which they live in. If you were to uh, transport the, the age and time and, and give them, uh, it, it was it, and he didn't articulate what was inappropriate. Was it inappropriate that they were dancing sexually? Is it inappropriate that they were underage? Was it inappropriate that they were dressing in drag? Because all of these things, we have standards in our community and our culture that at certain points we're fine with that and at other points we're not okay with that and see the the church of Jesus Christ has to decide you as a believer you have to decide on your own not from the pastor not from the church you have to begin to decide will I submit to the standard by which God has put forth for my behavior my morality my marriage my parenting my love one for another And you have to work that out with fear and with trembling. The Bible says, work out your own salvation. So here's the thing, the standard we have to work through that Jesus begins to tell us. Is it's interesting that Peter very quickly after he says this goes, man, I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus says, no. Even before the sun comes up tomorrow, you will have denied me three times. And then contrast is Judas, who betrays and rejects, and Peter, who's in denial. Peter, who doesn't want to join the fight. But sometimes we're very quickly to contrast and and point our finger at Judas and forget Peter's dilemma. And then what Romans will tell me is that all have went astray. The contrast here is that everyone in this story leaves Jesus. Everyone in this story flees. John, as a young man, maybe because they didn't believe he was a threat, finds himself at the cross with the ladies who are more bold and confident than any of us. I find it interesting that Jesus tells them to love one another as he has loved them. Do you know, there was one point where Jesus called Peter Satan. You remember remember that? Wasn't that awesome, right? You know, there was this one point where Jesus turned over tables in the temple. You know, there was this one point where he called the religious leaders uh, whitewashed tombs and on the inside, dead man's bones. See, sometimes what happens is we have a, a, a mixed up standard for what love is and we quickly think that love is being soft-spoken and being tolerant of all things. So what we, what we believe is to love someone is to just go along with someone. 
pretty acceptable standard. You go, that's the loving thing to do. Jesus looks Judas in the face and says, what you've come to do, go do it quickly. He unmasked him. He exposes his betrayal, tells him to go do it, confronts him at the dinner table. Jesus, that wasn't very loving towards Judas. See, sometimes what we have to do is we have to remove all our preconceived notions of what love is, what it means to be nice, what it means to be tolerant, what it means to be inclusive. We remove all of those words. We look simply at the person of Jesus and we begin to follow his lead. See, there's a standard. And at this standard, we all fall short. At this standard, we are all equal. You want to talk about equality and equity? We are all condemned at the standard of God. No one follows. No one seeks after God. And yet, this is how we know what love is. Not that we first loved God, but that he first loved us. And he gave his life for us. See, when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, it's a symbol of ultimately what he's going to do on the cross. He is saying, I, the king has become a servant and is serving and cleaning you and forgiving you and washing you. This is not your own doing. Notice that Peter has a problem. He doesn't want to submit to the servanthood of Jesus. What if I said to you, you need to submit to Jesus? You go, yeah, okay. You don't have to yell at me about it. Or what if over and over I said, submit to Jesus, submit to Jesus. Listen, friends, you have to, you have to submit to Jesus. And you may have all of these ideas of what that means. But you know what this story tells me? This story tells me that submitting to Jesus is sitting down and letting him wash your feet. You are submitting to the service and forgiveness and grace and love of Jesus. Who could look down at the person of Jesus washing their feet? Who would reject him? There was one, Judas. The Bible says that Satan took over. Now, I don't know if that meant that he just gave in to Satan or Satan literally possessed him. There's two ways to look at that. But ultimately, what we see here, and when John writes that Satan entered into him, what it shows us is that the battle is not just between flesh and blood. The battle is cosmic. The battle is about good and evil, light and dark. That's why immediately after it says, and it was night. He goes, this is about a big conversation. And this is about you deciding 
Which side will you be on? Will you follow Jesus? And even some of us will find ourselves in a state of denial like Peter. Sometimes we want to follow Jesus, but we don't want to get in the fight. Because following Jesus means that there's conflict. Following Jesus means that sometimes I got to say things that are going to ruffle feathers. And, and following Jesus means that sometimes I'm going to love you enough to tell you the truth because I don't want you to miss what is happening. Sometimes, uh, sometimes loving you is telling you that the only place we're equal is at the foot of the cross where we can be forgiven and made righteous. And then we go from there teaching righteousness, teaching the standard that he's loved us in spite of us. He forgives us even, even though we know us. I mean, you know you, and you have a hard time forgiving you. Yeah, he knows, and he loves, and he serves, and he forgives, and now that's the standard. And the standard is with the denier. The standard is with the betrayer. The standard is the one who's laying next. The standard is those close to you. See, here's what I think this passage brings up for us that sometimes we throw out. Sometimes what we hear here is love everyone down the street. Oh, this is going to be good. You wait for it. Thanksgiving week, baby, right? <laughs> How many of you are looking forward to that, right? All of your family in one book. <laughs> yeah, and you'll be like, I, don't, I, I love them, but I don't have to like them, you know? <laughs> They're blood, but I don't know, right? <laughs> That's just my dysfunctional family. Anyways, uh, right? You know what? Sometimes it's hardest to love those closest. The ones who can hurt you the most. See, Jesus looks at the betrayer, looks at Judas, calls him friend, and he's angry. When it says that he was troubled in his spirit, literally the Greek word translates, he was angry. One of you, after all of this, you're still going to betray. You're still going to reject. And yet he says, when he leaves, he says, now... The Son of Man is glorified. And you should love as I have loved you. The proximity is those closest to you. The proximity is you loving your spouse, no matter what. The proximity is you loving your children, your mom, your dad, your pastor. Let's see if I could sneak that one in there. Right? How many churches have ended in splits? Over the carpet. That's why we went with tile. Good choice, Jim. Right? Right? Sometimes the people closest to you, that's why he says it will put on display the glory of God. Because sometimes it's even easier to love your enemy. 
Sometimes you forgive your enemy, the person that you didn't know, someone down the street that you disagree with, someone crossed you in a deal, and yet you hear all the time people who have professed Jesus say, I haven't talked to my dad in seven years. I haven't talked to my son in five. He's talking to those close, those who could betray you, those who will even deny you. Those are the ones. And here's the standard. Here's the standard. As I have loved you, how has Jesus loved? He's loved in a way that glorifies the Father. The standard is what brings glory to God and good to others. I've heard this somewhere before. The standard is not your standard. The standard for love is you asking the question, what would bring glory to God? What is true? What is lovely? It's not about being soft-spoken. It's not about being quiet or being loud. Pride can be loud. Pride can be soft-spoken. The standard is, is your life lived in such a way? He constantly says, I do nothing but glorify the Father. I do what the Father tells me to do. I've loved you because of the Father. I tell you this because of the Father. I tell this to bring glory. Now the Son of Man is glorified. I've loved my betrayer. I've loved you, Peter, even though I know you will deny me. And all of this is for the glory of God. And that will result. Have a test. The next time you're going, what is love? You ask, what would bring glory to God? Not would, what would bring popularity, popularity to me. You say, what would honor God? What would bring glory to God? And when you do that, you will truly be loving others. And that will be good for everyone. And he says, this is how they'll know. This is how they'll know that you are my disciples. You have loved one another as I have loved you. Start with the people closest. Because if you can't love them, then you have no idea what Jesus meant by loving one another. But he loves in the most difficult and the closest. And so should we. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, help us to love others. And when we say others, you were talking specifically to the disciples. They were having to contemplate, where's Judas? They're going to wonder about Peter's denial. They're going to have church fights and church splits and people can't agree. And it's easier to just write people off then confront them at the table and say, we're going to sit here until we work this out. Speaking the truth in love doesn't always make us popular, but it will bring glory to God. Help us to put on display the love we have for others by first off following the standard that you have with our lives, with our morality, raising our children. Don't let the culture ideology and philosophy change the standard 
But let the standard of our lives bring glory to you, Jesus, and good to this valley. And everyone said, amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap?